0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. This morning we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The text for this morning is taken from the verses 10, 11, and 12. You brothers know... That our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. We love the congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, today, at least in North America, I'm not sure about Europe, but I know for sure not in China, but any case in North America today is commonly called Father's Day. It's that day that we set aside once a year in order to express our appreciation for everything that fathers and grandfathers and sometimes even great-grandfathers do in our lives. And as such, I think it is a good occasion. We are, after all, in danger of forgetting many of the blessings that we receive in this life, personal as well as material, And then it's good to be reminded of the gift and the blessings that fathers can and should be in the lives of your children. At the same time, of course, we also realize that in many respects, Father's Day is in jeopardy today. Many men seem to be ignorant of their responsibilities and calling. They may be good at conceiving children but they don't seem to be very good at helping their wives nurture their children. And of course, in many respects, that doesn't surprise us. After all, we live in a world filled with media, and media tends to, generally speaking, give a negative or a mocking picture of fathers and fatherhood. It's the butt of many jokes and sitcoms. And as well, the kind of laws and legislations that we tend to have in our land doesn't always promote the position or the role of father either, let alone their responsibility. And added to that, there is a lot of confusion today about not just fatherhood, but about marriage that's so closely connected to it as well. What is it? Is it heterosexual? Is it homosexual? Is it both? Can you have your pick according to your orientation? What is it? You see, there is kind of an identity crisis going on today. We live in rather uncertain and turbulent times. And yet we are not living, I would say, at the same time, in a time in which there is no help or guidance available. Every day, we, you and I can turn to the Word of our God and we can receive light and instruction about many things and also about the ethical, moral things of life, about what it means to be good parents, good husbands and wives, as well as good fathers. And of course, that's not to say that the Bible is or gives an extensive manual relating to fatherhood, or every other conceivable challenge or situation under the sun. But yet in its pages there are sufficient principles and precepts, advice and counsel to make one, let us say, a great dad or also a great mom. Why sometimes that advice and that counsel comes from the most unlikely And what do I mean? Well, I mean what we have here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and these verses that you find in the middle of this chapter. And I like to take some of those words and those verses, roll them up into a theme, which is, listen well this morning to Father Paul. We're going to consider his ways, we're going to adopt his aims, we're going to share his hopes together. Well, beloved, why does this chapter and why do these verses in this chapter represent a kind of unlikely source? Well, very simply because the man who is writing these things isn't married. Now, of course, not being married doesn't rule out fatherhood. There are a lot of unmarried fathers around. But the Apostle Paul is not a father, not in a moral or physical sense at least. First, you need to understand that as a Pharisee, he had been raised according to a rather strict Jewish moral code. And second, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he lived according to the standard of Christian holiness. Paul is a bachelor, apostle. Paul is also, I might add, a fatherless bachelor, apostle. And as a result, one would not expect to hear from his lips much about fatherhood, and neither would you really expect him to be speaking or addressing you or the Church of Jesus Christ in fatherly terms. But yet, we're wrong there. Paul often uses parental language. You can hear it in this chapter. First of all, he uses motherly language, makes allusions to motherhood. But he also uses fatherly language. And especially, you might say, in connection to discipling and molding his young son, Timothy. You know, how often doesn't he refer to Timothy as a spiritual son and give him fatherly advice? He he writes, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. To Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. Watch your life and your doctrine closely, my son. To Timothy, my dear son, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul may not be a father, but he talks like a father. Indeed, I dare say he talks perhaps better than a lot of fathers do. And that's the case not just with Timothy but also with the churches of Jesus Christ that he has planted. He considers himself to be their father. To the Corinthians he writes, I am not writing this to shame you, but I warn you as my dear children. And here to the Thessalonians he takes the same position, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. You may know that Paul had come to that most northerly Greek city and had worked there to institute a church of Jesus Christ. Under the blessing of the Lord and thanks to the working and power of the Holy Spirit, he had succeeded. A church had been born in Thessaloniki. Only that church was like a child. It needed to be nurtured, to be guided, to be led to maturity. And then the question is, how does the Apostle Paul go about doing that? Well, look at verse 12. Verse 12, he uses three very interesting terms, encouraging, comforting, and urging. And you might say those three words kind of summarize Paul's fatherly style. And that in that process... It gives also pointers to fathers even today. First, there is that word encouraging. It comes from a beautiful Greek verb which means to exhort, to promote, to console. The idea of this particular verb is that when someone is struggling, when someone is burdened, when someone's in trouble, that you come and you you stand alongside of them. And you try to help them. To be there for them. That's the imagery of this, this particular verb. And that's what Paul had always been, been trying to do with, with Timothy, with the churches, that he was sensitive to their needs. Whenever he saw them struggle, he would, he would come and he'd, he'd stand beside them and, and try to help them and direct them and promote them. And I would say to you that in that there's something for fathers to learn and to keep in mind. Sometimes fathers are better at commanding than at consoling. We find it easier to order than to encourage. We're better at confrontation than we are at exhortation. Well, maybe then we need to think and take a lesson out of the book of Father Paul. Learn to be an encouraging person, to stand beside your children and your grandchildren, and to help them, to be there for them, to support them. But notice Paul not only here speaks about encouraging, he also speaks about comforting. And that really means, that original word means to, to comfort someone in order that they will continue on a certain course, in a certain direction, towards a particular destination. You know, here are these believers in Thessalonica they had started on the road of the Christian faith, and, and, and Paul is so eager to see them keep walking on that particular road. But he knows, he knows it's not going to be all sugar and spice and ease and luxury and calm waters and smooth sailing. He knows these people are going to come under attack that others will seek to undermine them, to discourage them, to mislead them, to tempt them and to mock them and even to persecute them. And in light of all of that, Paul knows it's important. Keep on comforting. Keep on urging them to persevere in the Christian faith. That's the kind of support and help That they need. If they're going to stay on course. And when you think of it, how true is that not also for our own children? As fathers, we need to encourage them, but we also always need to help them along the way. Our world is no less filled with constant dangers and an abundance of temptations. And from time to time, you will find yourself needing to remind your children to stay the course, to persevere, to be faithful, to be true to their promises, to keep focused, and keep moving forward. One step, one day, at a time. And that doesn't mean resorting to all kinds of lectures and and threats. No, that means, if you're up to that kind of stuff, that probably you don't even understand your children. You need to be there for them. You need to make an attempt seriously to comprehend where they're at, what they're struggling and dealing with in this life as they mature and as they grow You might even try walking in their shoes a bit or reminding yourself of your own past and its struggles. Keep on being there for them as they walk the road of faith and life. But then if there is encouragement, beloved, here in these words, there's also comfort and there is something else, and that is urging. You might say, with that last word, things get a bit more serious. Here, Paul sometimes has to be very blunt with his spiritual children. He has to call a spade a spade. He's forced to tell it as it is. Smooth and nice talk doesn't always do it. And isn't that true of Christian parenting as well? There's a place for encouraging, comforting words. But there is also a time or a place, sometimes for blunt words, a straightforward, unvarnished talk. Sometimes you need to be frank and to speak solemnly and seriously. And especially if one of your children is doing something that is a clear violation of the will of God. It's not a time to get mad. And neither is it a time to put your head in the sand like the proverbial ostrich. No, it's a time to impress upon them that giving in to temptation, compromising one's beliefs and one's confession, acting in an ungodly manner, are serious matters with dire consequences. Serious talk, urgent talk, should at times be coming from Father as well. Especially when all the alarm bells are ringing in someone's life. And so you see, the Apostle Paul, by encouraging, comforting, and urging, is seeking to mold his son, his spiritual son Timothy, as well as all of his spiritual children. But you might ask, why? Why is Paul so descriptive? Why does he use all of these kind of terms? Well, because he wants, and we take that out of our text as well, he wants the Thessalonians to live lives, and that's the bottom line, to live lives worthy of God. Of course, he's talking here about conduct as well as about walking. You know, all around them, the Thessalonians can see people living unworthy lives. Stealing, slandering, gossiping, assaulting, fornicating. And as one saw last week in Vancouver, rioting as well. And that's nothing new. Already in the Old Testament, we hear parents and writers instructing young men on how they can keep themselves pure and undefiled. And even then, when people lived in God's covenant community, not only were, not all of them were necessarily living the straight and narrow. Some of God's children have always been testing the limits of God's patience and goodness. Some even fall under the curses of the covenant because they dishonor God and live despicable lives. And Paul knows this. He knows that there are pitfalls when one lives in the covenant community and he knows that there are pitfalls when one lives as well in the larger idolatrous, heathen community. But in both cases, there remains this ongoing call to live a holy life. In both cases, he has to challenge them as a father. But then notice. Notice the way in which he challenges them. He, he doesn't say to them, do my son, as I tell you, because I'm your dad. Dad. Now he says, do my son as I do. Look back at verse 10. Take note. For there he writes, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Quite simply, Paul uses himself and his helpers as examples and illustrations he says he's he's modeled the Christian life before them. They've seen him live a holy, righteous, and blameless life. And that's not an empty, idle boast. No, they've seen it. They're, they're witnesses of this, and they can testify to it. And so, he says, can God himself, the one who sees all things and, and knows all things and searches hearts... He can verify this is true. Paul leads by example. The apostle has credibility. He has their ear because he's no hypocrite, no compromiser, no indifferent personality. Yes, and that too, beloved, is a vital and necessary thing if your fatherhood is going to be a success under God's umbrella of grace. It's easy to rule your home by demand and command. But will it have the desired result? Not if there is discrepancy between how you talk and how you walk. And indeed, how often do sons and daughters not dismiss the advice and counsel of their parents because their parents have lost all credibility in their eyes? And why have they lost credibility? Because they're not consistent. How can you tell your son he's not supposed to drink and drive when you do it yourself? How can you tell your daughter to watch her language when your mouth needs to be washed with soap? How can you tell a son to turn off the stuff that he's watching on the television or looking at on his computer when you do the same thing? How can you urge your daughter to to study the Bible and to pray regularly when perhaps... You don't do that yourself. Need I, go, well, need I go on? Fathers, there is a sense in which you have no right to tell your children anything. If you do not do it yourself, you undermine undermined your credibility and your authority. And therefore we do well to take a page out of Paul's book. He's a spiritual father whose life is marked by holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness. And that's not his doing. That's God's work in his life. The work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit of Christ. It's what he's praised for, and it's what he works at. In other words, beloved, these things do not represent unattainable goals or targets. Now, in all of the Christian life, there is an invitation, there is a command. Ask. Ask in faith, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. Knock and the door will be opened. Fathers, stand ready to equip yourself and to help your children to live worthy lives. And notice as well one more thing, and that is Paul stresses how important this is. And as a matter of fact, why should we bother? Why cultivate all this aggravation and all of this toil? Who needs it? Well, again, the Apostle Paul is the one who reminds us that in the end, all this parenting business, and sometimes it can be really stressful parenting business, but in the end, it is worthwhile. It's worthwhile, he says, for the sake of the kingdom and the glory. God's kingdom, God's glory makes it all worthwhile. You might say Paul is there speaking about the present as well as about the future. He wants those new believers in Thessalonica to enjoy a better life in the present and a more glorious life in the age to come. You know, today already when we embrace Christ in faith, when Evan grows and embraces Christ in faith as well, and walks in his way, something happens. You know what happens? The gospel says you're rescued, you're transferred, you become a shareholder, you're turned into a saint, you become a citizen of the kingdom of light. Already now, claiming the promises of God in faith transforms your life into light. Have you ever noticed how often Paul stresses that fact? Colossians 1.13, For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Philippians 2.14 and 15, Do everything without complaining or arguing that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars as you hold forth the word of life. In Ephesians 5, once you were darkness, but now you're light in the world. Live as children of light. You see, Paul wants Timothy, the believers of Thessalonica and elsewhere, to enjoy the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light today. And at the same time, he wants them also to experience the kingdom glory that's coming. He doesn't want any of them to miss out. You know, this is the same point that he, he hammers at over and over again in his letter to the church at Corinth. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Are you so dense that you don't realize this? And at the same time, he wants all of them to enter in and one day soon to enjoy the glory The glory of a restored creation. The glory of a returning savior. The glory of a united and perfected church. The glory of a life without sin and corruption. The glory of a life beyond compare. God calls his children today into the kingdom. And in doing so, he calls them into the glory. We have the present, and we have the future. And Paul didn't want any of them to miss out. And I'm sure the same goes for all of you fathers here. You want all of your children to be successful. But how do you define success? Good job, great profession, public recognition and standing. You know, all of that may be included, but that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is living lives of faith and holiness. That's the bottom line. That's the, the, the most important thing of all. You want your children to live as children of light, as heirs of the kingdom of God. You want them to experience the kingdom, to contribute to the kingdom, and to enjoy the glory. And I dare say what makes parenting so difficult is that this doesn't always happen, does it? Sometimes our children do not respond positively to our prayers and instruction. Sometimes parents are parents in pain. And that's no minor thing. Some of you know what it is like to see and to have sick children. Some of you even know what it is like to see your children die. And all that's terrible. But there's something else that's infinitely worse. And that's to see them reject the kingdom and to miss out on the glory. No pain compares to that. And yet, there is balm for Gilead. There is hope in Jesus Christ always. And the Apostle Paul, led by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, wants you fathers to be spared as much pain as possible. And he wants all of you children to experience the glory. All parents in pain who turn to the Lord will receive His strength, His comfort, His help. But the point of the sermon this morning is, fathers, you need to keep on fathering in faith and humility. And you need Your children, your children you need to keep on heeding. Your fathers, warts and all. And together, fathers and children and mothers and grandparents, you need to work towards a godly family. A godly life. A life embedded In Christ, flourishing thanks to the power of the Spirit, there is no better Father's Day present than that. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.